And um, today we are continuing the same series that we had last week, um, talking about the day the revolution began. And um, we went through quite the journey of the Bible, looking at this um, new covenant that Jesus came and started when he came in with his teachings and with his death and resurrection. And today we are going to kind of go back and take that same journey, but we're going to look at it from a different version or different view Last week, we focused really on what God did in establishing this covenant and what Jesus fulfilled when he came. And uh, today, we're going to talk about what God was establishing through those covenants for his people and what it really means to be his people. Um, Because last week, we focused really more on the the half of what does it mean when God is our God and what does that bring for us? And um, now we're going to go look at what what does it mean to be God's people and what is he asking of us when we choose to make Jesus our mark and make him our destination in life. So... You ready for this? We're, we're starting off in Genesis 1 again, 27 through 28. It says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. See, humans were created in the image of God. And that um, doesn't just mean that directly we look like him, but we have the characteristics of God in us in many different ways. We're kind of God's little mini portraits of him in different pieces and different ways roaming the earth. And we were created not just to be here, but to be his image on earth. And we were given a position of authority over the earth to rule and to steward and take care of the things when we were created. Now see, all of that got changed when Adam and Eve sinned. Um, in some ways, they still reflected God. We were still made in his image. We still have the characteristics of God in, in us and living through us. But because they were separated from, because of their sin out of the garden, some things definitely had changed in their lives and um, they kind of lost the authority over the earth. You find out if you read through the curse that all of a sudden now they had to work um, for the earth to get food before they were told that they ruled over it and could use anything from the earth as their food. Right? And so they had lost that authority. And we fast forward to Exodus, where we see the covenant of the law of Moses being written out. All of the rules being um, for being the people of God and for having God be their God. And in Exodus 19, 5 through 6, God tells us, Now if you will obey me, or God is telling Moses, Now if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. And for all the earth, for all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give the people of Israel. This is the first time that we see God establishing this kingdom of priests or priests at all in in the scripture. We see priests that existed beforehand all the way back into Abraham. Um, He eats, eats, that's weird. He does not eat a priest. He meets a priest. And um, all the way back then, a priest of God. And we don't know much how those priests came into being, but this is like the first scripture where it starts mentioning um, these priests and how they would serve. And Um, What we see here is while there was priests designated, the Levites and Aaron's sons and things at that time, um, God said to all of his people that they would be a kingdom of priests, right? And so like we talked about last week, all of these rules were implemented. They decided, yes, we want to be a part of this covenant. And God came and filled their tabernacle, the, the temporary place that God would dwell among them. And then priests were established, and their purpose was to worship God. Their purpose was to be the mediators between God and man. Um, they, they came, they, got, they brought the sacrifices before um, God for the sins of all the people. They were the ones that came before God's presence and would hear what God was up to and take it back out and tell people. And so their purpose was that in between God and the rest of people. 
And that was, you know, um, and the purpose of God dwelling among them, being God, being their God, his people was to show the rest of the world how much greater their God was. The purpose for the laws, the purpose for the priests, the purpose for the whole covenant was really to show others how great the one true God is. Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 8, um, Moses is talking. He says, look, I now teach you these decrees and regulations, just as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. Obey them completely, and you will display your wisdom and intelligence among the surrounding nations. And when they hear all these decrees, they will exclaim, how wise and prudent are the people of this great nation. For what great nation has a God as near to them as the Lord our God is near to us when we call on him? And what a great nation and what great nation has decrees and regulations as righteous and fair as the body of instructions I am giving you today? Right? They, people should be looking at God's people and going, whoa, everything's just so great for them. In some way, God has been there and I want to know that God. But as we know from last week, these same people who made this covenant, they slowly gave into idolatry and back into sin and they began to miss the mark in their worship and the presence of God left them and was taken away. And the priesthood basically disappeared. Then we go, you know, another hundreds of years forward, we come to David and Solomon, um, David and his son Solomon, who then restored this covenant again. A new temple was built, a permanent temple. um, And God came and he filled that temple with his glory. And they reestablished this covenant. And um, we find that in 2 Chronicles 5. And Solomon is praying this prayer. God, God's glory comes and fills the temple. And so Solomon's like, right here in the presence of God, these are the things that, that I know you want and what you ask. And so we find in chapter 6, 32 and 33, he says, in the future, foreigners who do not belong to your people, Israel, will hear, will hear of you. They will come from distant lands when they hear of your great name and your strong hand and your powerful arm. And when they pray towards this temple, then hear from heaven where you live and grant what they ask of you. In this way, all the people of the earth will come to know and fear you, just as your own people Israel do. They too too will know that this temple I have built honors your name. As many times before, the people again then turned to idols. And there was a a time that Israel, at this moment when Solomon reigned and ruled and established this temple and God's presence came and filled it, they were the greatest nation on earth. And people traveled, every queen and king of any other authority would come and visit Solomon's temple and, and just and wonder in awe of them. And many people were turning and understanding that our God is this one true God because of everything that was happening. But slowly those people again turned to idols. They started worshiping foreign gods. They started missing the true mark and they were again separated the temple was destroyed. They went into slavery in Babylon. And um, like we saw last week, Isaiah 61 is a scripture that Jesus referenced when he says, look, I, these things are fulfilled today. And in Isaiah 61, 6, the prophet Isaiah is talking about this new ever, everlasting covenant that's coming, that's being fulfilled in Jesus. And he says, you will be called priests to the Lord, ministers of our God. You know, so as we talked about last week, Jesus came. He fulfilled this everlasting covenant. We are part of that today. We get to join in that revolution by making Jesus our mark. He defeated sin. He did all those things. But Jesus came and he established this new covenant in the same way. In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, it says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, Jesus came and he established new commands as it was done with all the covenants. And we'll look more at what Jesus was establishing, but I want you to understand that Jesus was instilling these laws and that he is with us always, everlasting. 
Because God is our God and he wants to be with his people. Just a small amount of time later, right before Jesus was about to ascend to heaven in Acts 1.8, Jesus says to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus established his disciples and established us as witnesses, people who would tell others of all the things of God, people who would reflect God to the ends of the earth, and that God would be in them through the Holy Spirit, or the New Testament, basically they were New Testament priests, like we were just talking about. They were image bearers to the world. In Acts 2, we find the story of the Holy Spirit coming upon his people. And this is really similar to when you look back at the, how the glory filled the tabernacle, then the glory filled the temple because of a covenant that was placed. And then Jesus came, established the covenant, and the Holy Spirit filled us. Paul refers to our bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit because of this in 1 Corinthians 6. And he refers to it as jars of clay filled with the power of God in 2 Corinthians 4. And many references that we are this filled vessel. We are the new covenant, the God dwelling among his people in us. Peter, in his, um, in his book, in 1 Peter 2.9, he said it like this, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. John, in the book of Revelation, starts out his book with setting up some background, bringing everyone up to speed about what Jesus had done and where it's leading them. In um, chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, he says, All glory to him, being Jesus, who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God, his Father. And the kingdom of priests is a phrase that's referenced multiple times through the book of Revelation about God's people, all people, all nations of the earth. See, the story the Bible is telling is that humans were created for a purpose. It, just as Israel was called for a purpose, and that purpose was not simply just to keep rules, right? It's not even just to be with God or even to just go to heaven at some point in your life. And it's crazy because really growing up and even I think often those are things that are preached most, right? The Bible is here because it gives us the guidelines and the rules for life. And yes, that's a piece. It's something that we need. Right? Yes, it's great that we get to be with God. Yes, that's part of why we are Christians. And yeah, we will go to heaven if we believe in Jesus. But that's not our purpose. Our purpose, God didn't just create us so that we could suffer through life so that we can be in heaven with him at some point. He didn't create us just to keep rules. Like, people don't have kids just because I want somebody to tell, what, you know, tell them like, how to live. I mean, it's nice sometimes you get to dictate somebody because nobody else listens to me in life. But no, I... But that's not why God created us. And yes, he wants to be with us. He wants to be with us forever. That's the, the purpose of this covenant that he has, but it isn't our purpose on earth. Humans were made to be image bearers. As we see over and over again, we, we, you know, at the very beginning, we were made in his image to rule and reign as if God was on earth. Right? To reflect the praises of creation back to the creator. To reflect the creator's wise and loving stewardship and rules to the world and its purpose for them. That's why this covenant was made in the Old Testament. It's why, you know, he said all nations will become jealous of the way that you guys live, but it's not for you. It's so that they will come to see me. In the Old Testament, this was only for the Israelites, right? And there were some random people along the way that were able to come in and be kind of adopted and grafted into the people of God. 
But it was always God's plan to bring all people to himself. As we read in the, those first covenant verses, it's that, you know, he's trying to inflict this jealousy and this, this purpose that God wants all people and that him, if we can live the way that he's asked us to live, that other people will see that and realize that he is God. But now we are all a part of that and we all get that same job. Right? In many ways, even the script is flipped. As Paul talks about in Romans, that, that the rest of us have Jesus now and are able to live these lives that the Jews who don't believe Jesus is the Messiah will be basically brought to jealousy of that we have God in this fullness that they've dreamt of and that they will come to know him through Jesus. So what does this really look like in our lives? Well, when we truly live out the laws of the kingdom of God on earth, that were established by Jesus when he was bringing in this covenant and we're modeling his life by making him our mark and our destination, people will come to know God through us. And in doing that, we're loving God best, being real worshipers or priests to him and real witnesses through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what are some of these laws of the new kingdom or what was Jesus trying to establish? Right? And if we look at the Sermon on the Mount, this is really the first thing that we see Jesus coming out and he's just saying, this, like all these things that are just different to everybody, right? And it starts off right away in Matthew 5, verse 3. It says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, and the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and, and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. As Jesus started establishing these new kind of kingdom rules, right? Everybody at that time believed God is only going to bless me if I can live out all of these laws. But these laws that they lived while we're supposed to help them be merciful, they were supposed to help them be humble and all these things, they were missing the point because they were just living out the laws. They weren't people who were trying to be humble. They weren't people who were living pure and focused on God or being people who were causing peace and making peace in their lives. He, he begin, I don't know, then Jesus moves on and he, he begins to continue reestablishing our position, like as reflectors or as image bearers, right? In verses 13 through 16, it says, you are the salt of the earth. What good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. We are salt to make a difference. We are light to shine for all to see God, to reflect, to bear his image, to make the difference on earth so that others will come to praise God. There's Jesus reestablishing that idea of the covenant in his scriptures. He continues, verse 17. He says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the slightest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, 
you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? This is that scripture we talked about last week, that he didn't come to end the law. He is changing the law, and that's why he had to say this, because I'm sure as he's saying all these things, people are going, oh, I, that doesn't sound like all of the pieces of the law we've been taught. All of a sudden, he's adding things, and he's trying to change things, and he goes, hey, hey, I'm not here to abolish it. I'm here to fulfill it. Really, the purpose of the law was to teach you to be people of peace, not to just do the peaceful things. Right? The purpose of the law wasn't, is to teach you to be humble, not to just like, do the things that humble people do. And they were so caught up in doing the things instead of being the things. Right? When we ignore loving God and others, the greatest commandments, and we're teaching others to do the same, then we are least in the kingdom of heaven. And that was his point. It wasn't that the laws shouldn't exist. miss the purpose of them. Right? It's not the law that saves us. It's the righteousness of Jesus that does. But Jesus threw in this comment that he's not abolishing the law. He was just changing and adding so that people become more okay with it. And he goes on to talk about more laws and, and to change them. Um, there's a whole section where he says, like, you've heard it said, don't do this, but I say, don't even do this. And he takes it a step further. Things about divorce and adultery and vows and revenge and loving your enemies and all these things. He's like, you know, these are great, but really you've missed the point if you're just trying not to do these things because really this was the point. Then he moves on in chapter 6 and he continues talking about the importance of caring for people. Then he teaches them how to pray with this heavy focus on inviting the kingdom of God onto earth. Then Jesus in all of his covenant, like in all covenants, reminds them that their purpose is to desire God alone and how easy it is to fall to other masters. And he warns them, hey, don't fall into this big picture sin of idolatry. Right? In 621, Matthew 621, he says, where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Then the next following verses talk about the, the singleness of our eyes, of, of keeping our eyes focused on one thing. And verse 24 then says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. Then verse 33, Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Right? Make Jesus your mark. This is his, him establishing that covenant. If you focus on putting me back where we're supposed to be, God being your God, then everything else is going to work out. Then we move to chapter 7 where Jesus talks about how to treat others. The importance of our own actions, you know, not judging others because we have logs in our own eyes and to, to really reflect Jesus best is to work on ourselves and get us to be more like Jesus and not so much worry about the other people. And this whole sermon culminates to verses 20 through 24 and says, yes, you can identify a tree by its fruit. So you can identify people by their actions. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Right? Those who apply these teachings and choose to reflect Jesus first will live. They will have a foundation. But those who don't will have no foundation. Their lives will crash and collapse. Jesus is talking about the fruit of our actions and people should see it. People should know that you are like God and trying to be like him because God should be flowing out of you. And that's how we can know if our own lives are hitting the mark. You know, last week we talked about, okay, let's make Jesus our destination. But how do we 
know we're right on the right path? Well, because our actions, people should see the fruit flowing out of our lives. Paul talks about these things. Let's look at uh, Paul's letter to um, in Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 23. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Right? And we read these verses sometimes and we, we see that and go, oh, those, those are all the things that God's like, oh, you're going to hell for doing them. But that's not what this is saying. Right? It says, if you continue this life, and these are the fruits that come out of your life, you are not headed to the kingdom of God. It's just talking about those fruits that we should be seeing because we move on in verse 22 and says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But that, that's the point of that. It's not saying you're headed to hell when you do these things. It's saying, hey, like, not like God's sending you to hell. It's like, hey, you're headed off the path because these are the fruit of your actions. But if you want to know you're on the path, these should be the fruit of your actions. If you're really making Jesus your mark, then the Holy Spirit will be producing this kind of fruit in your lives. Love and joy and peace, those things should be flowing out of your lives. And I don't think it's a coincidence that these fruit often reflect the Beatitudes or that first part of Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus was coming and establishing this is the most important thing. Like Jesus said in Acts 1 that he's giving us the Holy Spirit to be witnesses to the whole earth. The Holy Spirit helps us to be the best witnesses, the best image reflectors of God because it produces good fruit in our lives if we live that way and we allow it. Right? Could you imagine meeting somebody who this stuff just flowed out of them, oozed out of them in everything that they do? You see them like in a moment that you'd be like, I would be so enraged right now when that happened. You know, someone scuffed their brand new shoes or something and they're like, oh no, those are my brand new shoes. But they're like, hey man, don't worry about it. You know, it's all good. And nobody's like that. You know, I'm just kidding. Uh, like those people like reflect Christ when you are doing the opposite of what the world expects you to do. And that, that's when God is really shown. And when our fruit flows out of us like that, people will see God. And people, if you had those things flowing out of your life and every moment and people could see that you're always gentle, you're always kind, you're always faithful, you're full of love and joy and peace and patience and, and kindness and you have really good self-control in those things, like you would have so much influence to the world around you. And that should be the whole church. Right? The revolution that Jesus is trying to put into place was that this world would be filled with his followers overflowing with the fruit of the Spirit as his witnesses, as his image bearers to show, God, or to show people how much God loves them and in turn leading people to him. Right? We are a kingdom of priests. We are called to mediate, to be that in between, between God and people who don't know God yet. We are image bearers that point the world to God who loves them so much that he sent his son. Do you think others, when they see your life, you're reflecting God above everything else? Is it the, the main topic that comes up in your conversations? And not even just like God himself, but God thinks. 
Are you somebody who is acting in peace all the time? Are you always patient? Are you always merciful and faithful and gentle and kind? And you know, no, I'm not that. You know, <laughs> I already know that, but I try. And, but if I can more keep my focus on God, these things will become more easily flowing out of me. And we'll get to that in a second. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 15, he being Jesus died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Then a couple verses later, 17 and 18, he says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone and the new life has begun. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. I love this scripture because first off, it's like, hey, you come to know, you make Jesus your destination in life. If you start making him your mark, you become a new person, right? And it's a gift from God. It's not like, oh, this is gonna be a lot of work to change everything. And sometimes it is, but more it's not. Our work is just like remembering that God has already given it to us and then just walking in that. We have new life already. New life has begun. But we were given a purpose in that. And it wasn't just for us. It's that we are to reconcile people to God. I love that, the word reconcile. I've been kind of caught up on it over and over again. Because in its most basic definition form means restore friendly relations. Right? There's so many people out there in the world that just have such a, a negative view of God. That they don't have a friendly relation with him. But that's our task. Our purpose is to reflect who God really is to these people and restore a good relationship. And it's not on God's end. It's helping them to view God correctly. And really the world has a negative view of God because we haven't been reflecting him correctly. In verse 20, he calls us, um, Paul talks about all believers as ambassadors for Christ. Right? We are representatives of the kingdom of God on earth. And we don't do that through words. Sometimes we do, but that's not the main thing. We don't do it through condemning people and letting people know, hey, what you're doing is, is going to send you to hell. But we do it through the fruit of the Spirit, right? Through loving our enemies, through turning the other cheek, through working on the logs in our own eyes before pointing out the things in others' lives, right? For treating people how we want to be treated or loving them fully where they are. Jesus himself said that, People will know that you are my followers by the way you love each other. And later on in his prayer, his last prayer before he's headed to be crucified, he says, God, that they would see the love and unity of my believers and that they would come to know you from that. I, that seems sometimes like an impossible task. Sometimes it feels like I'm even in competition with some other church in town. When it's like, no, we're in this together. We're supposed to be, our love and unity among churches and different beliefs and thoughts like, should be so unified that people will come to know God because of that. And 2 Peter 1, 3-4 says, um, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. And these are the promises that enable you to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. And I, 
This is my favorite scripture, and I, you're probably like, he reads that scripture all the time, and I'm doing it purposely because you should have it memorized because this always comes up to me. It's like, God, I can't do it anymore. And he's like, yeah, you're right, but I've already given you the way and the power to do so. You can't, but I can through you, right? By his divine power, he's given us everything we need for godly life, and we receive that by just knowing him who actually made the way for us to know him. He called us to himself. Like, God's set it all up himself. It's not really on us. The only thing we have to do is accept it and start to live it. Right? When we are emitting the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, we are sharing in God's divine nature and reflecting that to the world around us. And it's just from knowing Jesus that that happens in our lives. You know, when we make Jesus the mark, our destination, um, we, you know, Jesus said in John 10 that, that he's the good shepherd, that he is the gate and he will lead us as a shepherd through that gate and lead us to a rich and satisfying life. Some translations say life and life abundantly. Well, this is it. What we're talking about today, that's the life, right? Life is from God. And when we have the fruit of the spirit or really of God flowing out of us, that's life. And it's not just life for us, it's life abundantly because it's for everybody around us and it, it never runs out and it constantly pours out and constantly gives out, right? Jesus was not promising the American dream rich and satisfying life that we're, you know, sometimes we hear that and I'm like, yeah, rich and satisfying, that's gonna be nice. You know, I have a lot of dream cars I'd like to buy. I got a lot of things I wanna do, you know, but that's not what Jesus was talking about. He's talking about real life, life full of the abundance of love of joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and never-ending access to that. Right? That sounds like a rich and satisfying life. All we have to do is try and keep our lives on the mark of Jesus, right? being pure in heart, being single and focused aware of the fruit of our actions. Paul sums it up really well in Colossians 3, and we're going to end with these, um, this section of Scripture, starting in verse 1. It says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, or evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world. But now is the time to get rid of anger and rage and malicious behavior, slander and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn how to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. 
Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. And joining the revolution gives you access to life and life abundantly through the Holy Spirit. This new everlasting covenant we've been talking about. And it's not just so that God can reconcile us back to him, but now we can join God in reconciling others to him by helping people restore the right relationship and right view of God that they should have, being his image reflectors on God, of God on earth. Right? Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. In verse 16, it says, Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful that you sent your son to, to reconcile our relationship to defeat sin overall so that when we can come and know you, that we no longer have to be separated from you. We're no longer in exile, but we can come and be with you and that we can be filled with the glory in our temples, God, and that you come to be our God. But God, I pray today that you would help us to be your people. To be people that, that accurately reflect you, God, that, that we're not you know, dingy, curved mirrors that, that distort and change your view or the view of others of you, God. But that we would be people whose fruit just flows out of us, your fruit, fruit, the Holy Spirit, God, just flowing out of us. That we'd be clear reflections of you, God. Restoring and, and reconciling those relationships of people who don't know you because of different things they've seen, God. God, I pray that you would help us to keep you as our mark. To understand our actions and our fruit and what we're really showing the world around us. God, God may we dig into the scriptures and see, Jesus, exactly what you are commanding us and that we would try and imitate you fully, that our lives would be a reflection of your life on earth. That we're not here to condemn, but we're here to serve. That we're not here to shame, but we're here to love. And in doing so, we will lead all people back to you. Help us remember that it's through your power and your path and your way that we have access to this. This life and life abundantly of all the fruit of the Spirit, never-ending access flowing out of us. In your name we pray, amen. All right, go be productive for Jesus.
Darkest of days, the bright. 